Hello, everyone, and welcome to another freshly popped episode of Cine-ish here on TBR Media. We've got the latest news, reviews, reactions, analysis, and everything in between for the entertainment industry, film, television, streaming, the whole nine yards. We've got a great show for you today. Uh, We're going to be discussing some film news regarding The Last of Us. Um, TV show, and then also Top Gun 3 that's finally been announced, as well as several award shows, including the Golden Globes, which just had their full uh, stream last weekend, in addition to the SAG nominations, the Screen Actors Guild nominations. Also, we've got some news regarding Guillermo del Toro's Netflix project, which will be Frankenstein, uh, tackling the popular adaptation and bringing it to Netflix with his own flavor, which I can't wait to see. This is your reminder to go subscribe uh, on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to and then also on YouTube. Um, It really does go a long way in helping the algorithm kind of put us first, uh, making sure that we're providing everyone with good content and that our content is being seen. So we really appreciate you doing that. But without further ado, Why don't we get into the news? So for film news this week, it's been a stacked week. Uh, It truly has. We have uh, film news, television news, we have awards news, uh, and everything in between. So let's get into it. And the first topic that I want to discuss this week uh, was something that came to us via deadline. Jacob Elordi is set to play Frankenstein's monster in Guillermo del Toro's adaptation for Netflix. So This is a project that I've been really looking forward to. Deadline broke the news last year that Oscar Isaac will play Victor Frankenstein, and Mia Goth is also set to star in the pick. Uh, But news broke this week that Jacob Elordi is joining the cast. He's been on an upward trajectory this year. Uh, Everything from Priscilla to Saltburn, um, and then obviously his fantastic work on shows like Euphoria have all helped him get to this point. I think this is just another way to diversify his acting portfolio. And he's joined by like a bunch of talented people, including Christoph Waltz, Lars Mikkelsen, David Bradley, and uh, Christian Convery. They're all set to be a part of this ensemble in Guillermo del Toro's Frankenstein at Netflix. Andrew Garfield fell out of the leading role there due to basically the SAG-AFTRA strikes that kind of hit Hollywood, you know, earlier last year and went all the way through the summer season. So now there are some scheduling conflicts, and that is why Andrew Garfield had to ultimately drop out of this. But uh, I'm looking forward to see what Jacob Lordy does with this role. Let us know what you think. The next news story that I want to cover is big, big news for TV. And that is, of course, talking about Last of Us Season 2. Caitlin Dever has been cast as the character of Abby. And for those of you that have played the Last of Us video game, um, specifically the second one, you know how pivotal that character is to defining that entire narrative. They might take a slower approach with the second season of The Last of Us and split it up a little bit more uh, just to kind of give that storyline more room to breathe because a lot of fans of The Last of Us were very upset at the addition of Abby in the second game. And so I'm wondering how people are going to feel about Caitlin Dever being cast. There's already a bunch of meninist in the comments everywhere talking about how, you know, she doesn't look bulky enough to play Abby and we don't want Abby and blah, blah, blah. Uh, But I think you have to 
take the current casting, which is Bella Ramsey, and you have to match someone that isn't necessarily going to outshine that performance, but is also going to bring something new to it and, you know, be playing on an equal playing field. Uh, Because while Abby may feel a little overpowered in the video game as I played it, um, there's also an element there where there are two sides of the same coin. And uh, so the trick with the casting with The Last of Us Season 2 was getting someone who is on Bella Ramsey's level who also can basically, you know, play off one another in a way that's subtle and also, like, super effective. And I think they made the right choice going with Dever here, so I'm really excited to see what they do with it. But let us know what you think of the casting news down in the comments. It's official. Top Gun 3 is in the works at Paramount with basically everyone that we need returning. This comes to us via Variety, but Paramount has tapped Top Gun Maverick co-writer Aaron Kruger to work on the script for a sequel to the action blockbuster uh, that was a smash hit in 2022 at the box office. Director Joseph Kaczynski will get back into the cockpit for another installment in the series, which would potentially see Cruz's younger co-stars Miles Teller and Glenn Powell return for more high-altitude excitement. Discussions about the new script began last year. There are still a few hurdles to cross in the development of Top Gun 3, with Cruz and company needing to sign off on a final version. A spokesperson for Paramount has declined to comment on this news, but I think it's safe to say there is a resounding sigh across the United States with this news. I've never seen a movie bring more people together in the way that that Top Gun Maverick did. And when I saw it at CinemaCon all the way back in April of 2022, I knew that there was really something special with this. And I was so excited for people to be able to see this in a big theater with a big audience and get a big reaction. Um, because ultimately that's what this movie did and it did it to us, a bunch of theater owners that were sitting in the crowd at CinemaCon and uh, we need another hit like that. And I think you've seen the tightening restraints on superhero, you know, genre fare at the box office in 2023 with a lot of Marvel and DC duds. And uh, this was the summer for original storytelling in Oppenheimer and in Barbie to really come in and solidify a box office standing. And my hope is that with the release of movies like Top Gun Maverick um, and Top Gun 3 subsequently, and then also, you know, Barbenheimer, that we are able to counter-program the box office because it is so needed. Um, and I know a lot of people share that uh, sentiment, but I think this is just another step in the right direction of kind of giving giving other films a shot. Um, and obviously, it was kind of a no-brainer when Top Gun Maverick made as much money as it did that it's going to get a sequel. So I'm just excited to finally see it announced and brought to the forefront. Let us know what you think. Tom Cruise also did something else this week. He signed a new deal with Warner Brothers Discovery to develop and produce original and franchise films with Warner Brothers. So his office is now moving from the Paramount lot to WB, and I've got to say, it's kind of a kind of a unique move, just because obviously with Top Gun 3 being in the works at Paramount, we also have the Mission Impossible franchise at Paramount. There's been a lot of discussions about whether or not Paramount is in trouble, uh, whether or not there's writing on the wall that someone is going to come in and eat the scraps of what's left over of Paramount. And... So there's been a lot of speculation in terms of, is Tom Cruise's decision to go to Warner Brothers a reflection of what's going to happen with Paramount, ultimately? 
I can't say that for sure. But what I can tell you is that I'm excited that he is coming back to produce both franchise and original IP for Warner Brothers because some of my favorite Tom Cruise performances are films that absolutely no one saw. Something like uh, Doug Liman's American Made, for instance, which was so refreshing at the time that it came out. I think that was 2017. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I really did like that movie, and I'm excited to, whether or not it stars Tom Cruise, I'm excited to see more films like that start to pop up. And it kind of goes back into that discussion of, you know, quality versus quantity and box office programming um, in terms of uh, counter-programming certain films. You know, you have a big superhero IP, but you also have this small little indie over here that uh, people are filling up theaters for, granted, maybe a little bit... uh, you know, smaller rates, but nonetheless, I think it's important and I'm glad to see that this move has been made. Finally, let's talk about all of the Golden Globes news because there <laughs> was so much drama around this award show, my God. Um, so let's get something out of the way. Joe Coy was not a good host. Throwing your writers under the bus, not cool. Some of the jokes were okay, but that crowd wasn't feeling it. Kevin Hart made a really good point about this recently, I think in the past day or two. He said something along the lines of, I'm not sure that these award shows are places for comics anymore. I'm not sure that comedians have a place hosting these award shows anymore, whether it be the Oscars, whether it be the Golden Globes. Um, and I think I think Kevin Hart's right with that. I, I think the audience reaction, forget, you know, the the talent's reaction to some of the jokes that were made in their presence the audience reaction to this ceremony was so toxic on so many levels. And I think it's time that maybe we do look at moving on from comedians hosting these award shows. You have plenty of talented people in these rooms. Will Ferrell got up and did a nice little bit during the ceremony. Have him host. Uh, there, there are so many people that probably uh, would be able to do a really, really fantastic job at hosting a show like this. And I think that it's time to shift that conversation from which comedian is hosting this year to which celebrity is hosting this year in terms of, uh, and I think it I think it should also be someone who, you know, maybe is like relevant in the conversation of that year, uh, whether it be, you know, I'm, I'm not saying have your main host be up for, you know, best actress or something. But what I'm saying is, you know, make it someone who's like just on the cusp of getting awards attention, but maybe didn't quite get it this year. Or, uh, you know, someone like, I feel like Greta Lee, who did a really good job, um, you know, at her roundtable discussion with the Hollywood Reporter. She's absolutely hilarious. Uh, she had a little film called Past Lives come out earlier this year. She's She's funny. And she's kind of right on the cusp of, you know, doing something great. Not that Past Lives wasn't great, because I think what she did was incredible in Past Lives. But that's what I'm saying. Why don't we shift the conversation to be more about celebration rather than roasting? That's my opinion. Nonetheless, the Golden Globes. Oppenheimer led all of the wins, you know, with five total. Succession tops TV with four. Um, So the two big winners, bar none, Oppenheimer and also Succession. Uh, Oppenheimer reigned at the 81st Golden Globe Awards on Sunday, just as it once loomed large at the summer box office. The sprawling examination of J. Robert Oppenheimer and the creation of the atomic bomb racked up five wins, the most of any movie, including the prize for best motion picture drama. Poor Things, a feminist reimagining of Frankenstein tale, 
was named Best Motion Picture Musical or Comedy, one of two victories for the postmodern film. On the television front, Succession, um, which basically you know, has dominated all the award seasons, the Emmys, uh, any, any time that it, it gets brought up in the nomination process, it's bound to just sweep. Um, so I'm looking at that show taking a pretty decent chunk of the Emmys home, too, that it's been nominated for. Uh, it ended its four-season run in May, and as we had mentioned earlier, it took home four prizes. The Bear, the story of a Chicago restaurant struggling to keep its doors open, earned three prizes, including Best Comedy Series, Best Leading Actor and Actress in a Musical or Comedy for Jeremy Allen White and A.O. Uh, Adebri, which I thought was well-deserved. Beef took home a couple of awards, too, for Ali Wong and Steven Yun, which I really love to see. There were some nice surprises in there. I think Lily Gladstone's um, award for Best Female Actor in a Drama for Killers of the Flower Moon. Her acceptance speech was so touching. And same with Paul Giamatti, for that matter. I think those two moments, outside of all of the, the chaos surrounding the host, um, those two moments were really, really sweet. Uh, Paul Giamatti, who has been on the cusp of, you know, getting rec this recognition for so long, finally got it. And it was a joy to see. Same thing with Lily Gladstone. I think her speech in particular was really important and impactful. And those are the type of things that we should be tuning into these award shows for is the celebration of talent and not necessarily the ploy for ratings. But uh, let's talk about the SAG Awards. Um, the SAG Awards are coming up um, in a few weeks here, but the full nominations were released and they include things like Barbie and Oppenheimer, uh, who both tied for films and succession leads all with five noms. So again, you know, every time Succession's brought up in conversation, it's just gonna, it's just gonna win. There's no stopping it. And I think the same is true largely for Oppenheimer too at this point. I think that that movie is on an upward trajectory to best picture and probably best director um, at the Academy Awards, that is, but we'll see. Uh, so Barbenheimer dominated nominations for the 30th Screen Actor Guild Awards just as the two blockbusters ruled over last year's box office, both Barbie and Oppenheimer received a leading four nominations, including nods for their ensembles, which is the top prize. The movie will vie for that top prize alongside others like Killers of the Flower Moon, American Fiction, and The Color Purple. On the television front, Succession had a leading five nominations for its final season. It was followed closely behind Ted Lasso, The Bear, and The Last of Us, which earned four nominations apiece. Something that I found really intriguing because Warner Brothers also dominated the box office for 2023. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery had the most nominations of any media or technology company, receiving 20 for its films and shows, a group that includes things like The Last of Us, Succession, The Color Purple, Barbie. It was followed up by Netflix with 12 nominations and Apple with 11. And the reason that these are so important in the kind of discussion leading up to the Academy Awards is that they're scrutinized because they are often overlapping with those of the Oscars. After all, many of its members are also a part of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Last year, for instance, the four performers who won SAG Awards, Brendan Fraser, Michelle Yeoh, Kiwi Kwan, and Jamie Lee Curtis went on to capture Oscars for their work. And though SAG doesn't have an award for best film, its selections can provide hints about which movies may be best positioned for the Academy Awards glory. Since its inception in 1985, 
Uh, only four movies have won Best Picture at the Oscars without receiving a nomination from SAG for the cast ensemble, which again is their, their primary Best Picture award. Um, those films include Braveheart, The Shape of Water, Green Book, and Nomadland. Notably, look at those four movies there. So since its inception in 1995, only four times have movies gone on to win Best Picture at the Oscars without receiving a nomination. But I must say, three of them have been in the last seven years. So uh, that's something to kind of keep in the back of your mind as we move forward. It's not entirely possible um, or entirely impossible that something wins without getting a SAG nomination first, as it's happened in the past. Another thing, looking at these nominations for SAG, I was really happy to see Coleman Domingo get in for Rustin, number one, because Coleman Domingo has been on my radar for many, many years. I think he's a fantastic actor. I don't love Rustin. I, I don't think that movie's for me. Um, but the, the, the material is so important and so impactful, and his performance is magnificent with what he had to work with in that movie. Um, if you haven't seen Rustin, it's streaming on Netflix right now. I recommend that you go check it out. Uh, Jeffrey Wright also got in for uh, lead actor by a male uh, for American fiction. So that's another one that kind of shocked me there, although it shouldn't have as that movie's getting so much love this award season, but I haven't seen it yet. So I'm really looking forward to it. In the female category for a leading role, you had Annette Benning show up for NIAD, which has largely been kind of shut out of awards conversations. Um, I've seen very little people talking about NIAD, even though I quite liked the movie. Jodie Foster also got in for a supporting role with that one. And then uh, Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction got in as well. You didn't have Mark Ruffalo get in the supporting male actor uh, for Poor Things. Only Willem Dafoe made it in to the list. And notably, like the other ones are pretty much as predicted other than Sterling K. Brown and Willem Dafoe. I mean, you have Robert De Niro, Robert Downey Jr., and Ryan Gosling all in there. Another shock was the supporting role for females, and that was one that not a lot of people uh, were kind of paying attention to for upsets. You know, it seemed pretty on par with the locks that could be. I think the male categories this year are a little bit more up in the air with things like in the supporting male category, Charles Melton, or in the leading you know, male category, do you put Leonardo DiCaprio in there? There's a whole conversation kind of brewing around all of that. So the male categories this season feel a little bit more loose than the female categories. However, I must say that Penelope Cruz snuck in here for Ferrari, which shocked me. She is easily the best part of that movie. Um, I don't dislike that movie, but I think certainly Penelope Cruz's performance is something that elevates the entire project from start to finish. Uh, Jodie Foster, like we had said, got in for Nyad. And then uh, you have... Staples like Daniel Brooks for The Color Purple and Emily Blunt. And then Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers, who is my pick to win. I think it, she absolutely like dominated that movie. I think every every time she was on screen the, with the three of them, with Paul Giamatti and, and Dominic Sessa, I think Divine Joy Randolph really kind of showed everyone that she has that it factor um, because you just couldn't, you couldn't take your eyes off of what she was doing with that performance in the movie. And it was so sweet and so subtle and very likable. And I think she is right now a clear lock for that supporting nom and win. 
But let us know what you think of the Golden Globes. Should there be a comedian hosting next year for the 82nd Golden Globes? And how are you feeling about those SAG nominations? What surprised you? Is there anything that got snubbed? Let us know down in the comments below. And as we round out the show here, I want to bring you a few things that you should have on your radar for this upcoming week that came out over the last weekend. The first one that I want to point out is True Detective Night Country, which is streaming on Max as we speak. Um, I am super pumped to check that out because I honestly love True Detective um, both seasons, actually all three seasons. Even the second one, which I feel was a little bit weak, had some good qualities to it. So I'm really excited to have that on the bucket list for this week. You also have um, a few other things that came out over the weekend, like Netflix's long-awaited Kevin Hart film Lyft, the series premiere of Peacock's Ted, Apple TV's premiere of Killers of the Flower Moon, and uh, that's just some of the things that you can watch. As well as American Fiction, let me just shout this out, is releasing wide over this past weekend. So if you didn't get a chance to see it over the weekend, go during the week, go see American Fiction, support that film. Uh, it's a directorial debut from Cord Jefferson. I hear amazing things about it. I'm looking forward to seeing it myself. Um, and maybe by the time this releases, I will have seen it. So uh, there's not a whole lot of awards movies that I've got to catch up on, which I'm proud of myself because usually at this time I'm still drowning to catch up, but I did a pretty good job this year at just watching like an ungodly amount of films every week and it paid out in my favor. Thank you all so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, like I said earlier in the show, we do have YouTube membership that you can sign up for where you get access to exclusive content, exclusive polls over on our YouTube channel. And then uh, make sure to just follow and rate this podcast wherever you get your podcast from, because um, it really does help show the podcast platform, show those big corporations like Spotify and like Apple uh, that we mean business and that we're here to stay. So I really appreciate if you would do that. And wherever you are in the multiverse, Take care.